And so now they feel like, you know, the stars are aligning for them to contend. And oh, by the way, they're in the same division as the Dodgers. So I think that explains kind of some of the Padres urgency is they recognize that they have to augment a team now. So there is definitely a keeping up with the Joneses vibe that the Cardinals don't have. You know, all the GMs slid into their DMs and said, well, let's not contend this year. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to the best podcast in baseball brought to you by Closets by Design of St. Louis. I'm St. Louis Post-Dispatch baseball writer Derek Gould. Joined this week again. I was able to get him back. was able to work with his uh, booking agent to have sports columnists and stltoday.com man of many talents and writer of many hats ben frederickson good ben. morning derek i'm good, good I, I'm, I'm doing well um happy new year to you and uh i, I yeah. uh yeah overexposed is the word um it's uh you know it's 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 do do everything um if you can't do anything well i think is the, is the way to go um but uh, no man glad to be back with you and and excited to talk about this flurry of moves the cardinals have had since we last talked, it's been a barn buster. To, oh, wait, never mind. Um, they did do a virtual winter warm-up, though, so that was that was good. But other than that, I, I don't know that much has changed since the last time that we checked in with each other. The Cardinals are the last team to not have made any additions from the outside to their major league roster. They have signed some minor league players, uh, a couple of whom will compete for spots on the roster as it stands right now but they were all minor league deals with non-roster invites to spring training. So the Cardinals are the only team of the 30 teams in Major League Baseball. 29 other teams have made some kind of deal uh, that changed the look of their 40-man roster with a player from outside. The Cardinals have not. The NL Central remains the only division that has not added anyone that will have a significant impact on the standings, an everyday player of any type, not five teams, and they haven't added an everyday player to the roster. Uh, the Cardinals are the only team in the division that hasn't made a trade this winter. It's it's unbelievable, to be honest. It's, you know, we're recording this and they haven't done this yet. You know, they have obviously offers out to Adam Wainwright and Yadier Molina. They have had discussions and continue to have discussions with a couple teams about trades, but you know, they haven't made the moves of any type. Um, do you think this is a staring contest at this point, or do you think there's something beneath the surface that is leading to this paralysis? I think every uh, team that in the National League Central has signed a secret agreement to to not try to get better this offseason. So they so they won't be able to be judged against one another. It's like the it's like you know I know that that one year where the free agents were all waiting to be signed and like the last week before spring training there were calls of collusion. This is the new conspiracy theory in baseball. It's the National League Central secret pact where they're <laughs> you know if we all just go down together then 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 no one can get mad at us because we can all kind of point to each other and say well they're not getting any better either. Um, no, I, I'm I'm kidding. I think. Um, it's it's strange and, and look we saw some of this coming right and 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 I'll point out that there's really about five maybe six seven teams that have tried to really aggressively get better this offseason um, but the bulk of teams are especially the teams situated in the centrals for the most part are are making moves to that prioritize saving money over over being more competitive in 2021 
Um, some of that, I think you can argue, is maybe based on how reliant some of those teams in the middle of the country are on, on fan attendance. Um, some of it probably has to do with the types of TV deals that teams in the middle of the country get compared to teams on the coast um, right. after a season in which they didn't have fans in the stands. And some of it probably, too, is is pressure on um, on teams from, from fan bases to some degree. I saw it put one way where, you know, the <laughs> – the teams on the on the coast are acting more as if this is, you know, an entertainment business and teams in the middle of the country are acting more as if this is a, you know, a, a business business. And that's probably there's probably some oh, truth. Interesting. There's probably some truth to that. And that kind of aligns with, you know, the makeup of those parts of the country to, to some degree. So I think there are a lot of factors in play. But really what it, it's coming down to, I think, is some teams are seeing 2021 as an opportunity to buy low and be a much better team in 2021 and beyond because of the lack of action of others. And, and the majority are saying we, there's so much uncertainty right now about a, what will the 2021 season look like? B what will the season look like? Seasons look like after that with the new CBA that will have to come in place there. I think the threat of a work stoppage is, 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 is significant. Um, I think teams are, would be lying if they said they're not thinking about that to some degree. And uh, mm-hmm. there are a lot of reasons if you're looking to be hesitant to hesitate. So, you know, there's really two schools of thought and only a handful of teams are saying, hey, let's let's use this uncertainty as a way to add more certainty. Um, and a lot of the other teams are standing back and saying there's a lot of uncertainty. We need to we need to be cautious here. And the Cardinals are very clearly one of them. Um, I don't mm-hmm. think I don't think the the the, you know, informed, engaged Cardinal fan was under the impression the team was going to go out and make a bunch of blockbuster moves this off season. Uh, I think they were pretty understanding of what things looked like understanding of the situation coming after this 2021 season, where there's going to be, you know, some contracts coming off the books and the team will have maybe an opportunity to make some significant changes. But that being said, the Cardinals cannot say that they're, they're sticking to their mantra of, of trying to build a contending team every year and, and return a team that was clearly worse than one that was, that, that, that got knocked out of the playoffs in the first round in a wild card series in 2021. I mean, I'm sorry, but when the Padres go and add everybody and they, mm-hmm. you know, they, they beat you in the, in the first round and then lost the next round and they're going for the Dodgers, you can't lose to the Padres, let Colton Wong walk, not bring back Wainwright and Molina and do nothing else and say, hey, we got better. No, you didn't. Um, you know, but again, I'll point out, there's a month before spring training, there's time. And there's probably going to be some deals because I think what 85% our buddy James Wagner at the New York times looked this up recently, something like 85, 90% of free agents are still out there. Yeah. And multiple trades that you expect to happen. um, Once there was at least some kind of swapping of arbitration numbers or some kind of sense there that have yet to go through. So, you know, I, I do think there, there's a couple contrasts that I find interesting when you take the Cardinals and pit them against two teams um, both of them on the West Coast. One is the Padres. You know, the Padres have been very, very active, along with the Mets, who have been very active. Mets have a new owner, um, you know, an owner that brings uh, the, well, he's the richest owner in baseball now, and a Mets fan, and knows a sunken market when he sees it and wants to take advantage and and has. Um, the Padres are an interesting one because they have spent a lot of money here recently to go get Hosmer, then really ratcheted up to go get Machado. Um, they have also over the past decade lost a lot. 
So that's allowed them to rebuild their farm system. And, and remember, they, they even had some hiccups there where they were, you know, they, there was some question as to whether or not they had followed the rules or found loopholes um, in their signing of amateur talents. And so they, they had to kind of even reconstruct from that. But the, the, the result is just a remarkable farm system that can make the trades that they've made and still crack, put seven, I think, in the top 100. So they have fortified this amazing minor league system you know, the, the face of which is now Fernando Tatis Jr., who they got via trade as part of this when they weren't contending. And so now they feel like, you know, the stars are aligning for them to contend. And, oh, by the way, they're in the same division as the Dodgers, who have a strong farm system and have, you know, a galaxy more money to spend. So I think that explains kind of some of the Padres' urgency is they recognize that they have to augment a team now and go for it now while everything is sort of aligned for them and they've invested a lot of money in this time now um, or else they, they won't ever get over the Dodgers. So there is definitely a keeping up with the Joneses vibe that the, the Cardinals don't have, as you outlined, whether it's you know all the GMs slid into their DMs and said, well, let's not contend this year <laughs> or, or, or something along those lines. Um, the other one is that you have the Dodgers and, you know, the Cardinals have Yadier Molina and Adam Wainwright. And we'll talk about the offers that the Cardinals have out to them, uh, you know, but the Dodgers have Justin Turner. And I, I think it's interesting that they haven't signed him yet. And I wonder if there's a parallel there where you got an aging player who's a big part of a championship, who's a big part of their identity, who's really been a big part of a tremendous run there by the Dodgers, but he's not signed yet. Molina, not signed yet. Wainwright, not signed yet. Is there is there some faint outline of something uh, of some similarities there as to what's going on? Well, yeah, they're all older players who right. have previously been paid a high amount of money per year. And you know what is the what does the game increasingly tell us about players on the wrong side of that thirty year wall? Um, don't spend a lot of money on them, especially guys. Uh, uh, you know, a, a mile on the wrong side of the wall. Um, there does seem to be kind of a, a standoff there. Um, you know, we haven't heard much about what's going on with Turner and, and the Dodgers. There's a lot of assumptions that he'll just be back. But, you know, I think Yadier Molina probably spoke to a lot of players' frustrations when he had that interview where he said, look, if basically if, if I don't get something that I think is a good deal for what I've done and, and, and is, is my true value or close to it, then I would consider retiring over playing on a, on a deal that I didn't think justified my, my career. Right. And, you know, part of me goes, I can see that two ways. I can see one saying, well, if you, if you don't want to play, if you'd rather retire than take what the market is telling you is your value for one season, then I would assume that to me, the one way to read it is you'd rather retire than play baseball, you know, so that that's what a way a team can view it. But I, I think a player side of it says, why would I play this my whole career and then, you know, at the end of it, sacrifice my value in order to, you know, you work your whole career should lead up to something, you know, and, and right. to be to be maybe disrespected or feel like your your value is not being taken into account in your in your final seasons. Um, then, you know, if you put yourself in Molina's cleats, then maybe you can see it his way. I don't think, you know, clearly he doesn't, he knows he's not gonna get 20 million, 
which is what his contract that just ended paid him. But I think Yachty, like a lot of these guys, looks around at other players and he feels like, hey, I'm I'm as good as as McCann and look what he got per year. Why shouldn't yep. I get that for for one year? And, and that's how they build contracts. I mean, contracts are all about comparing yourself to someone who's doing it and you're either better or worse and you get paid more or less. So they're not necessarily signing up for for this for this big cliff that all of these players are supposed to fall off. And I think the guys who are most reluctant to sign up for that are guys who've had really good careers and have, and have, you know, understood and, and, and have an understanding of, of their legacy. So I guess it'll come down to whether or not Molina really wants to play, because I think if there was an offer at this point that was much different than what the Cardinals were willing to give him, then he would probably consider taking it. But, you know, if, if his leverage is retirement, then it, it suggests that maybe those numbers on the, on any of the offers he's getting are not exactly what he wants to hear in terms of, in terms of money. I think there's a case there exactly as you described it. The, you know, the, the old rule of thumb is that performance determines AAV annual average value or the salary and age determines length. And so you could see how the Cardinals would want to pay for the performance that they're going to get. And Molina would seek the kind of salary that would said he, that would, you know, because they're competitive and, you know, salary is just another stat that says he's better than McCann. McCann got 10 million a year. So there you go. That's how it starts. I want to talk about the offers and sort of where things are at with Wainwright and Molina, understanding that this podcast might have a shelf life then. Um, but first, I need to tell people about our sponsor. Imagine your home, speaking of shelves, right? Imagine your home totally organized. Closet by Design of St. Louis can help you get organized with 40% off plus an additional 15% off and get free installation. Call 1-800-BY-DESIGN today. That's 1-800-BY-DESIGN, 1-800-BY-DESIGN today. Closet by Design of St. Louis, the official sponsor of the weekly best podcast in baseball. So during the winter warmup, Cardinals executives did a series of video interviews recorded in person by Dan McLaughlin, um, television voice of the Cardinals. And in the one that I guess was not done in person, that was done over the phone, was with Chairman Bill DeWitt Jr., who's in Florida and has actually been working um, at the Roger Dean facility down there. And sometimes even Commissioner Rob Manfred stops by to use the offices there to work. Um, but DeWitt said that they made offers to Molina and Wainwright. This, So DeWitt said that they did that. They did do that. I was able to confirm that outside the organization. Um, in both cases, those offers were less than what the team or what the player was scheduled to make guaranteed for 2020. Is that is that classic home down discount? Is that classic low ball or is that a gambit to see if they to say they tried and move on? Well, I think for for Molina, it's obvious that he, he wasn't going to make 20 million right. a year anymore. Not with not right. with his age. More importantly, not with his performance. And uh, you know, this is not a disrespectful thing to say about. Yadier Molina to to point out that you know at his at his age right now he's not a twenty million dollar a year player um, he's thirty eight <laughs> and and there's been some there's been some regression in his game as as there would be for most guys considering most guys at his age are no longer playing um, he's still a, a a great leader uh, I think he's a great manager of the pitching staff and he's still the defensive coordinator for this team he's a clutch hitter. He has so many things that make him valuable. I think the Cardinals are a better team with him back in, in 2021. But I can say all those things and still say 
that he's not a, a $20 million a year player. And, and I think in his heart of hearts, he understands that. Um, now, what what's the dollar amount? Um, that's going to be the, the big question. And, you know, we know he wants a two-year deal, preferably. I've heard Benji Molina say he might consider, you know, a, a one-year deal with an option. I think, I, I don't know this, but I would imagine for Molina, it's mostly about that that annual that annual value. I, I think the, the, the smartest thing the Cardinals could do is to figure out a way to bring Molina back for one year on an amount that mm-hmm. gets him back in the fold and then worry about the rest later and just really adopt the same situation that they've, they've had with, with Wainwright the past two years. And this leads me to my next point, the Wainwright asking Wainwright to come back for less that that's more kind of shocking to me because a, for the past two years, he has worked on a, on a one year deal where there's a low yeah. amount of guarantee and a significant amount to improve that based off performance. And that's a great way to do it because it, it allows, it gives it not that, not that Adam Wainwright needs a carrot at the end of the stick. That's not what I'm saying, but it allows him to, you know, really earn his or sing for his supper. And he's been okay with that. And we've heard Wainwright say, look, I've made a lot of money playing for this team and I'm good with this setup. I don't, I can't imagine that he would be, opposed to the same kind of contract, maybe the same one that he, that he had, but why should he take less? Because he was the team's best starter last season. And he was, you know, the guy that they turned to every time they needed a bounce back game. Um, Yeah. You can point to his age and all these things, and you can point to all all the depth in the Cardinals lineup. But I do think without a doubt, like, like Molina, they'd be a better team with him back in 2021. If they're going to throw all these young guys at the rotation, having a leader, and Adam Wainwright, um, you know, be there to kind of shepherd the, the flock. There's value in that on top of what he'll bring on the mound. I don't, you know, he get, he didn't, it's not like these guys are going to be bake, breaking the bank. I mean, what was Wainwright's deal last season? I think it could get up to, to $10 million if he hit all of his incentives. Right. It was the same thing, um, only more guarantee than the previous year. He maxed it out the previous year, came right? back on a deal that offered more guarantee but the right to earn the same amount of money. Right. Um, obviously the pandemic and the shortened schedule cut into that. Sure. Um, but they didn't but, pay him the full deal. I mean, all they remember right. all these guys were getting paid prorated salaries last year. Right. So, so there's that I thought, too. to me, I guess what I can't understand is, is if I don't, I don't know if Wainwright would be acceptable of this agreeing to this, but why not just do the same deal over again? And that's kinda, why not guarantee him what he lost last year? Because he was their best pitcher. That's fine too. But, Asking him to take less, that I guess if it's the best offer he has, then you know, then maybe that's the the play. Is you know, you just don't want to offer him more than any other team would. But I'm telling you, and not that you need to hear it. I mean, I think I would imagine you agree with this. If if Yadier Molina retires because he he would rather retire than than not play for what the Cardinals are willing to offer him and every other team, I think Cardinals fans say, okay, you had a great run, Yadi, retire the number, build the statue, and and we'll turn the page here. If either Adam Wainwright or Yadier Molina, but especially Molina, winds up playing for another team in 2021, and the difference comes down to be something like five hundred thousand dollars, yeah, I think that's going to look pretty bad for the Cardinals. You know, this is a team right. that this is a team that gave Matt Carpenter a rushed extension that has not worked out well because of a, the legacy argument. Um, this mm. is a team that, that has made a big point of telling us all the intangible things that Yadier Molina and Adam Wainwright bring to this team and how valuable they are beyond whatever they do on the field. After a year in which they do it on the field with Adam Wainwright being the team's 
best and most reliable starter. And Molina, lead, let's not forget here, for all of the, the dips that Molina has had, he was very clearly the team's best hitter in the in the in the postseason series in the postseason the yeah, yeah yeah and it wasn't even close so f- what are the what kind of message are the cardinals going to be sending if it's not hey we're, we're reversing trend on the way we talk about our legacy players and maybe they should i mean maybe they should factor out this sentimentality from their their calculations a lot of teams already have but I, again I, I said this before and i'll say it again i don't think you want to draw the line before wainwright and molina and especially after Carpenter and before Wainwright and Molina, especially when we're talking about one-year deals for relative, relatively low prices. We're not talking an Albert Pujols Angels market here. We're not talking right. about beating, beating, out, beating out a huge team that's ready to throw a ton of money. If one of these guys pops up on another team for that Marcelo Zuna difference level in price, then I, then I think it's going to reflect poorly on the Cardinals. And, it's gonna, and they'll have to answer some questions about why they – why they didn't practice what they preach. And the answer cannot just be, well, the pandemic. No, because every team is going through a pandemic. Why would another team value Yadier Molina or Adam Wainwright more than the Cardinals do? I have a hard time. That, that doesn't mesh with, with what I'm seeing now. If both of them retire because they don't get the money they want, so be it. But if one of these guys ends up on another team for something less than a million bucks, that's going to be hard to explain, I think. What if they, what if when they face those questions and have to answer for that criticism, they're, at, you know their their answers may say one thing, but their whole affect is that they don't care. Well, then I, I guess we would have to kind of revisit some of the comments they made about these some these guys. I mean, it can't be it can't be one thing one day and something else entirely different the next. It can I mean, be if they go, they well, we don't have... care. We don't we we don't <laughs> need to respond to the precedent yeah. or the opinions that we said. We're going to make these moves and meh. Well, I mean, then then I guess it's up to the fans to decide how they how they respond. I mean, yeah, I've said this before. I think probably on this podcast, but the freshest reminder of what the Cardinals expect from their fans was was delivered by Mister Dewitt at, at in that in that interview, and he mm. said, "Look, we really hope we can get people in the stands. You know, we know one thing we know is that the Cardinals are the Cardinals fans are going to show up, whether it's you know whether ten are allowed in." Or a full house. We know they'll be there. And it was it was honest in a way of him thanking the fans for their support and their loyalty. But it also showed how the Cardinals think. I mean, they and and it's right. It has never been it hasn't been proved wrong to them that if if they open up the doors, people will come. Whether the team is contending for a World Series or whether the team is is in a transition year and not really calling it that. Um, but this notion of a lot of teams, I think, think of what can they do to to draw fans in and what can they do to pack the stadium? Let's make moves that excite fans about the team. Right now, the Cardinals are saying, well, we can't know what we can do with the team until we know how many people can come to the games. Right. That's the opposite of thinking about what you do to bring people to the games. And, and I wonder, you know, you know, I, for every person who goes, I, I'm not interested in this team this year, I'm dropping my season tickets. Maybe there's somebody else who buys them, you know, or maybe there's somebody else who gets that game day ticket the day of because they want to go see a game at Bush. And there will, of course, be excitement to get back to the ballpark. But, you know, it wouldn't probably be the worst thing in the world for the Cardinals to think a little bit about giving people a reason to come to the ballpark it, during a as we're easing out of a pandemic phase. You know, we've gotten used to other things. There's still some hesitation about getting together um, with, with folks, even if it's outside for some. Um, so this idea that the fans are just going to show up, whether the team 
as two iconic Cardinals or not. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, it, I, I know there will be some, I know there are, there are people who are not excited about this team as it stands right now. And yeah. even these are people who are not expecting the Cardinals to go out and, 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 and all of a sudden, you know, commit a massive payroll during a pandemic. But these are people who are expecting the team to follow through on what it says and where it can be competitive. Now, important line has to be drawn here as is this team without these guys probably could compete to win the division because the that's division. how bad the division is. But does right. anybody really think that any team from the national league central has a shot of making a run in the postseason where things stand right now? I, I don't, I mean, every team has taken a step back. So, you know, just simply winning this division, it, we, we can't pretend like that is some massive accomplishment. Yeah, I mean, especially if they don't take away a layer of the playoffs, you know, just maximizes the fact that you're going to run into multiple teams that have already been battle hardened by the divisions that they're in. I mean, every team in the NL East, you could say, would be the favorite to win the NL Central. Every team. Oh, yeah, easily. <laughs> like the Marlins, you could go, well, that team could maybe uh, win the NL Central, right? And they're right now probably the fifth best team but they could they were in the playoffs this past year so I, yeah i mean it's it, it the the nl central has has um softened they they they've hibernated this winter um you know with the exception of just divesting a whole lot of talent i mean it's just like you did the story where you outlined that the entire the the team of players that have left the division could contend in the division. And that was before John Lester left and signed with Washington. So now he's on your team too. Right. And I mean, it's just the, where would that team finish? Do you think, I mean, if you look down the lineup, uh, you know, Wong at second, um, you know, you got Darvish Bauer, Lester as the top three starters, right? And Mosgrove as the fifth guy now. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, that, it's, that's the team that's built to to win the NL Central after leaving the NL Central, and they'd win by seven games. Well, I mean, I, I tried to, you know, it's one thing to say it. It's another thing to actually try to build the lineup. But the more I built it, the more I kind of went, man, this team, this team might actually be all right. You got the top two finishers in the Cy Young in the Cy Young race from last season, leading your rotation and some, some, some veteran guys. I mean, Wainwright and Lester, um, you know, throw in Musgrove and then look at your bullpen. You've got guys who could be really good relievers or starters. If, if, if you blow a, a tire, I mean, Quintana, um, Archer, uh, I, I'd use those guys as relievers with, with, with maybe making a spot start. Now, again, you got a proven closer in Iglesias. Um, yeah. you can go, you can go all star and Naval. You can you can get weird with like a Brad Miller, Jed Jerko platoon at, at third base and maximize those those splits. Um, I mean, you have you have some holes, but but you have you don't you have fewer holes than, than most of these teams in the Central would. I mean, at some point the conversation flips, and um, as someone <laughs> we had a suggestion on Twitter, maybe combine an, a current National League Central All Star team and see if it would beat the team that has left the National League Central. <laughs> that's that's wow. for, for a division for a division that for a division that has really I think taken pride in in having competition and yeah and being, well, it was only a few years ago three teams won ninety seven games yeah being that isn't loaded with tankers um, that's uh, <laughs> that, it's pretty sad I mean I almost have appreciation for the Pirates because they're at least candid about it 
Um, yeah. You know, usually keeping up with the Joneses. And this is like the reverse of that, where it's like everybody on the block has decided to just stop mowing their yard. And, and it's like, well, we don't have to cut our grass as long as our neighbors don't. You know, right. it's like now there's trash in the yard and like things are starting to, there's rusted cars sitting in the, sitting in the, uh, sitting in the driveways. <laughs> Guys, come on, like spruce this thing up a little bit. We know it. We know you're not going to go out and, and, you know, re-side the house for 2021. We get it. It's times were tight and, you know, everybody's cost conscious, but you can get out and cut the yard. I mean, some of this stuff is just, and here's what I don't get. How is there such a difference? that some teams are looking at what they went through in 2020 and what they're looking at at 2021 is this apocalyptic scene. And then other teams are like, and I get it. Cohen didn't suffer the losses last year and he's hella rich. I, I get it. I'm not being naive here, but the Padres don't seem to think 2021 is not going to be important. The White Sox don't seem to think 2021 is not going to be important. The Royals. Um, I mean, that's a, you know, I, I, so I just don't want to really understand how there's this massive divide between so many teams that think are acting as if 2021 is is almost you know not going to count, and then there's this handful of teams that are viewing it as an opportunity to really go for it. I mean, the Nationals seem to think it's going to matter, so it's just an odd. Uh, it's hard. It's hard. I think as a as a fan of baseball to understand, you know, why some teams are seeing this as an opportunity to to really pursue an advantage, and other teams are viewing it as if as if this season is is going to fall out from underneath them at any time. I think some of that has to do with the timing, sort of what I was mentioning with the Padres, and then like you mentioned with the Mets. Um, some of it has to do with teams that are firewalled against it, like Toronto, right? Uh, you know, be, because of their owners or because of, you know, what they have planned or the money they have coming in. And in that case, it's a little bit of both. Um, you know, whereas maybe we're seeing uh, – the fault lines and maybe the union is paying attention to this too, of a wide gap in, in owners when it comes to baseball, right? Like, um, you know, if, if things are that dire in the, this time zone that it can put, you know, it can put teams just, you know, on time out for an entire off season. That's a concern. Uh, I don't, I, I'm, I'm trying to think of how to articulate it, because, you know, what is true for the Padres now, what is true for the Mets now, as far as the timing element of it, it's just it's there for them um, and they feel this is the time to spend. It, it's that same thing on the other side for the Cubs. The timing was just awful for this. Think about all the money they put into infrastructure, how they radically altered the the area around the ballpark. Um, they're doing things there somewhat like the Cardinals are doing here, but it's more integrated. And the timing was all for this grand display of 2020, really, what they would launch their own TV network. Well, that, you know, they, they, they invested obviously in infrastructure there and now didn't get the return from it. They had an empty hotel basically across the street, didn't get a return from that. They've had restaurants um, open and close in that area um, that now they're not getting any return from that. Those places are empty. Remember, Jostens opened up a ring store there, as if oh, was you know, was they were going to have. That was almost as uh, as as poorly uh, thought out as as Joe Madden's bar. Right. Well, Jostens opened thinking, okay, well, this is going to be a cool thing because every so often there's going to be a new ring for us to sell. Right. I mean, they they bet big on this notion that they were an arriving dynasty 
and they were, you know, basically building their, uh, you know, their, their empire palace around Wrigley. And it just all came together. All the spending was there for them to finally hit jackpot in 2020. And what happened? Two thirds of the season was lost. No fans in the stands. Um, you know, no games to broadcast a, a, a brand new network that they then scrambled for content. Uh, I mean, they just the timing was all off for them. And so the the crater is maybe a little deeper there. Um, and we're seeing that revealed not with their statements, though, they'll they'll talk about when that the ownership that talked about biblical losses. But we're seeing it with actions. And that should that should probably catch everybody's eyes is like just what where the soft spots are in the industry. Well, we're also not, but we're not seeing it in their statements in, in terms of financial statements either. Um, you right. know, here, I think there, and I, I hear you and, and you're absolutely right. Some teams are, are in better spots than others. Some teams are more vulnerable than others. Not every owner has the same cash flow as certain owners and, and not everybody's Steve Cohen, where you can drop, you know, what millions of dollars on some funky piece of art because you want to add it to your collection. Um, so, I, you know, there's a very diverse playing field here, but one of the things that I don't think the owners will never acknowledge, and it's frustrating because it's true, is the amount of the amount of value their teams have, um, the, the amount of value that their teams have increased over the times that they've held them. If you talk to most, you know, most business owners will tell you that there are years where it's very, it's very odd to have a years where you just exponentially make more money. <laughs> it's right. just every year. Right, right. And that's what baseball has had for a long time. Um, right. we, we hear a lot of groaning about certain things in the game, but you know, these are these these the game is increasingly making more money through rights deals and TV broadcasts and MLB advanced media and all all of this stuff. And now there's this this terrible year. No no doubt, you know, terrible year. But the question then becomes, well, how do you respond? And to, I guess if we took a poll of everybody. Do we all think that baseball is going to just die because of COVID? No, I think we all think baseball will get back once we can have people in the stadiums and things will move forward. And 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 so the question becomes: Do you do you basically overadjust because of one bad year, or do you take one bad year? So we've had a lot of good years, and let's let's use this as a time to maybe put ourselves in a better position for the boomerang. Now that right. comes down to what kind of business owner you are. I mean, there's that's the you're basically exactly. think of it as think of it as the stock market. We talk about hedge fund baseball. Think of it as the stock market. Do you buy the low or do you pull your assets out when you've had a bad run? And you ask ten different, you know, ten different stockbrokers, and you'll get ten different answers. But yeah. but I do think there are some teams that are are saying that seeing this as an opportunity to buy the low, right? And I think there, yeah. I think there may be, I think there will be some real opportunities to do that as this final month winds down because because there are going to be cheaper deals being had i don't know if there will be very many teams that uh, that want to that want to have them i guess we will we'll see here but you know this conversation that can be had is one that you know rec you can both recognize the the rotten go baseball had this year but also mm -hmm. see a, a future in which baseball is going to be very much back on its feet and it will be you know this this conversation of of all this financial turmoil will look maybe I wouldn't say silly, but will look kind of naive compared to where baseball gets to. However, and this is what I don't think, you know, you and I talk about, but I don't see that many other people talking about it. What would baseball be saying about the state of baseball right now 
during the pandemic. If non-pandemic related, this new CBA has to come before the 2022 season. So much of what we see, whether it's teams saying they can't afford to do something, whether it's Ricketts talking about biblical losses, whether it's this consternation over the single season agreement for 2020, whether it's Jack Flaherty refusing to agree to the team's evaluation of him again. So much of this is tied to kind of the increasing standoff between players and owners that comes before the 2022 season. So if the, if that CBA, that next CBA is going to come down to who gets what and the redivision of the revenue pie, it makes a lot of sense for owners to say, look, we can't afford these things. We we're taking these losses. How could we possibly, how could we possibly give up more? You've seen what we've, we've gone through. Um, so yeah, I, I think there's some politics in play here too, because we're so close to a new revisitation of the, of the CBA. Absolutely. The, the word that I was looking for was that I think we're starting to understand the margins at which these teams operate. And you put it well there that like profits grow. There are profits. You know, the Cardinals are positioned. You'd think they talk a lot about the devotion of their fan base to then bet on the fan base coming back and to present somewhat of an olive branch by putting forth a roster here and now that it inspires them to come back that the Cardinals it seems to think you know, their history, you could bank on them going back to 3 million, 3.2, 3.4 million once the pandemic is cleared, vi- vaccines everywhere, all that stuff. Life kind of returns to a normal kind of beat that they're best positioned, as well positioned as anybody to do that, right? Um, and yet their actions are that they're not. You brought up Jack Flaherty and you talked also about the notion of a legacy player. Where when the Cardinals signed Matt Carpenter, Matt Carpenter goes to the Cardinals seeking an extension, wants to talk about it. They work out that deal a year ahead of time. They could have waited till the end of the year and then addressed his option or talked to him about an extension at that point in time with a whole nother year of information. They did not. There was a definite legacy element to that. Did that, that line you're talking about that, that the team either needs to draw or has drawn unofficially with precedent. Did it come then between Matt Holiday and Matt Carpenter? Is that the break line? And I will try this back to Jack Flaherty. Oh, I don't know. I, I think there was kind of that extension season. Yeah. I remember yeah, it, was like, it was like quarter of a billion dollars. Baseball is this weird, this weird sport where it's like very just somebody starts something and then everybody else just follows. And then like you look up and go, oh maybe that wasn't such a good idea. Well, Cardinals been like crazy on the extensions that time. Yeah, yeah. But, but that was it was a baseball trend. It wasn't just the Cardinals. I mean, every right every team was kind of jumping on these these extensions, and the Cardinals were. You know, I remember right, and I remember being at spring. I remember being at spring training, writing about it that year, and going, "This could help the Cardinals because yeah. it might you know, encourage players like a Jack Flaherty to to jump on one when it's offered." And what right. a, what a what a difference. What a difference we've seen in this time where, you know, this is now their third clash about what player D's value is. And I think part, you know, some of it is, hey, it's just business. But uh, part of it is, too, if you're trying to, you know, if you're trying to get them long term, this is, would be an interesting way to to go about it. Um, I, 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 so I, I think that I think the Cardinals are it just shows you the ways in which baseball can whip back and forth. At one point, it was like, let's get as much security as we can. And, and you heard Mo say entering this offseason, if he could wipe the books clean, he would be in favor of that. Right, right, right. Money. So 
maybe maybe the shock of the pandemic, which is not not something anyone saw coming, other than maybe Bill Gates. Um, I know I sure didn't, so it's hard for me to you know use hindsight about the pandemic. But maybe the lesson of this is that the Cardinals and other teams decide that that security year after year is maybe maybe not what they want, and maybe maybe you do leave more wiggle room to build your team year by year as opposed to having big extensions on the books or rushing to make moves that you don't have to make. Um, you know, we've seen the Cardinals be very willing to not make moves. And we say, why not? Because they don't have to yet. You know, deadlines are their best friend They're, If they didn't right. have them, they would have nothing done. So the extension model and, and the flood of them that we saw, whether it was Michaelis or, or DeYoung or, or, you know, even Carpenter being the, the most regrettable example, it kind of goes against their nature a little bit. They like to have certainty and, and know what they have, but I wonder if we maybe see them be more willing to, let things be shorter term and year to year. And the th- other thing is if all teams adopt that approach, then it, then it doesn't become an issue where teams can get players can get honked off about it because every, it's just the way it is. I mean, I, I do think we've seen that, like it used to be a deal when, when a play, when team would take a young talented player to an arbitration hearing, it was viewed as how right. this affect things down the line. Well, now a lot of teams adopt this, you know, approach where if we don't agree, you're going to trial, you know, you're going to the hearing and it's almost become, it's like teams have realized if they all take that same approach, then, then they can all say that it's, it's just the way they do business. So you can kind of see their strength in numbers there. So, you know, I I guess I I don't have a, a good answer for your question, but I just, I see the trend and I wonder if it's, if the Cardinals are in the midst of changing it, but also it would be a bold thing to change it you know, in this spot in time, because you're talking about two guys in, in Wainwright and, and Molina, where, you know, it would cause a lot of pushback. Now, if they're not, you know, rushing to make a deal with Wainwright and Molina, and, and, and they're okay with not not <coughs> thinking too much about the optics of that, then that doesn't bode well for, for the idea of Flaherty, you know, getting some sort of agreeable term just so the Cardinals avoid a hearing. They're kind of adopting this approach of, it's just business, and we're okay with the with any backlash that comes from it. Right, save money wherever possible, even if there's only a nine hundred thousand dollar gap, and they likely got right. closer than that during negotiations. Matt Holiday comes to the end of his contract with the Cardinals, and right. you know, by any measure, he was a significant Cardinal, right? Not homegrown, not any of that stuff, but you know, he remains their largest free agent contract, even now, almost twelve years later, right? Um, or no, exactly. Twelve years later, he uh, or no, yeah, ten years, eleven years later. Okay, he remains their most significant, largest free agent contract that they've signed. You know, and he provided for them. Was a key part of the lineup. Um, you know, helped get the team back to the World Series two years after Albert Pujols became an Angel. Two years after Tony Larusa retired for the first time. Um, you know, all of that. So a, a significant Cardinal. But yet when he sought to return to the team, they didn't. They didn't go to the length to sign him back. And so his career ended elsewhere, Um, you know, bouncing around, Yankees, then Rockies. So he went back to where he started, Uh, whereas Matt Carpenter got the extension, now had a year to go, got the extension that, that Holiday did not, got that legacy opportunity to finish his career as a Cardinal that he did not. So where's the separation there? And the way I tie that back is like, if that's the precedent, then do they watch Wainwright go elsewhere 
um, and Molina not because the consistency is homegrown, drafted, um, or is there something a little bit less specific to it, like contribution? Because you know they've really rushed to lock up other homegrown players. When you think of like going all the way back, like Wainwright, um, again not homegrown, but Wainwright extension really early on, Alan Craig extension really early on. Um, you know, you have Paul DeYoung, Colton Wong, all these guys, you know, you, we used to talk about it. There would be the annual spring extension. Who was it this year? Who was it going to be this year? And that was their approach with guys, um, you know, really until kind of Waka, right? And Waka was this young standout pitcher who, you know, he he did not combat the – the uh the the contract offers zero to three like jack flaherty has but he did go to arbitration with the cardinals he had injury factors um and you know that was some of what the cardinals were going through but his career you could watch pivot in part because of the injury from oh this is a guy that they're going to try to keep long term and he's the next in line to get that extension just like wong and d young and you know alan craig did um but then he didn't and the pivot was, yes, the injury, but that also manifested with the arbitration hearing. And it became clear that, okay, he's going to go elsewhere, that that's that this that he's not going to be one of these guys that they lock up and keep a la Carlos Martinez. Um, he's going to end up going elsewhere. And so that's what I'm that's how I'm kind of connecting it is where is that line where you can see, oh, this is a guy that they're going to reach to keep a la Carpenter or any of the young guys that they worked into with the extensions versus, okay, here's a guy who either isn't homegrown or they don't want to sign into the twilight of his career and they're going to let go and they're willing to take the PR hit or the sentimental hit or whatever um, because they think that this is just a line that they won't go to, you know, they won't go past. At what point does does Flaherty cross that line? I think it probably comes down to, this is kind of a crude way of looking at it, but I think what it probably comes down to is their cold, cold business math projections of what is the value going to be? And and is it worth the, is it worth the price? And everything else is window dressing because there's, there's been no real line of consistency there. Adam Wainwright is a homegrown Cardinal in every sense of the word, other than that he was traded from the Braves. Right. But right. Now maybe he might not be. But Yadier Molina is, but he's not now he's not being now he's no longer being treated like one. Matt Carpenter was and got that kind of deal. Colton Wong didn't. I mean Colton Wong was, you know, he his option wasn't picked up. You know, in the, after he won his second consecutive gold glove. So there's real no yeah. rhyme or reason other than the Cardinals, I think the Cardinals like to talk. Oh, Alan Craig got traded. Yeah. So right. the Cardinals like to talk about the legacy if it fits the deal they want to make. Um, hmm. You know, Flaherty, I don't, I think, you know, and Jack's done a good job of saying this is about the system. It's not about the Cardinals system because he does know a lot of teams would be handling this a similar way. Um, I guess what I and some of this will depend on Flaherty's performance. If he pitches like he did last season, then his his idea of what he should be paid will probably not match up with many teams. Um, eventually, you know, he's got to pitch better. But we've seen how good he can be, and we saw in the Padres series what he what he can be. And, and I think we're going to see more of that guy in in twenty twenty one. I really do. 
So I, I think what we're seeing now is Jack saying, I'm willing to risk the idea of security in part because I think I'm, I think I'm undervalued in baseball's current system. And I would agree with him. On Absolutely. That. And B, he's willing to take the risk of less security now for more guaranteed later. Um, he's kind of unlike the, his approach is the opposite of what the Cardinals is. So does that come to a resolution? Perhaps, um, you know, again, the Cardinal, if the Cardinals make him an offer of a lot of money and a lot of years, then it's one thing to say it and another thing to turn down that guaranteed money. Um, yeah. You know, like, you know, Paul DeYoung got that opportunity and said, I'll, I'll take the security. At one point, Colton did as well. I mean, you remember people forget Carlos Martinez went to an arbitration, was, was, was destined to go to arbitration back before he was, you know, everybody was, was ready to see him traded. And there was, I remember writing a column, could this impact the idea of Carlos staying with the Cardinals long-term? No, it, they ended up working out an extension. Um, so I, I'm, I'm hesitant. They never got to a hearing. They never got right. to a hearing. It was, yeah. it was, it was headed, it was headed that way, you know, but I think they'd swap number more, more now though. That is not some sign of a future divorce. It is simply, it's simply business. Um, you know, even Chris Bryant with the Cubs has had plenty of conflicts with the club with the Cubs about about his you know salary and his service time, and he has not been traded. You know, he might not sign. Uh, you know, he might not sign a massive deal there. He apparently turned one down, which he might end up regretting. Um, but I just think as more teams kind of take this file and trial approach, where it's kind of an unflinching look at things, then then more players are going to be in a position where they kind of adopt the same thing, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they don't wind up with that team long term. It's too much. It's too early, I think, to determine what Jack's future will be. Um, although we know that he has a very strong opinion of what his value is, and mm-hmm. he doesn't feel like the current system and the one the, the current system the Cardinals has reward that. So, could he be looking up? Could be? Could he be looking to make make up more of what he felt like he earned? Um, when it comes time where he has more influence and more leverage, perhaps. And, and yeah, you could see him driving that away, that driving him away from the Cardinals at some point. Um, maybe you see it as the Cardinals saying, okay, we have enough um, reason to believe that we're never going to be able to agree with Jack on what his value is. So maybe they, maybe they start to look at a trade, you know, if they have all this pitching and they feel like they have enough solid pitching, maybe they, Maybe this is a, a thing in which they deal Jack down the line. I could see those things being on the table, but again, right now, it's I, I don't know that it has a direct a direct finish line one way or the other. But it's certainly interesting, and the, the more the more times this stacks up, where there's a butting of heads over what he's valued, it, it, I think it does make you wonder if they'll ever get to the point where they they see it the same way. You know, it doesn't look like the Cardinals have that strong of a case to be candid. The Cardinals have submitted a salary of 3 million. Jack countered with a salary offer of 3.9 million at some point in time during their conversation. It's likely that they were closer than the 900,000. Um, it's pretty common for teams to undercut their last offer and say they can argue it in a hearing. And it's not too different for a player to try to move that midpoint or, or maybe push the issue to a larger salary than they were willing to accept um, with their offer. Where, where the contrast is and where I think you have to be aware for the Cardinals is look at the group of players that uh, are also first-time eligible arbitration players. It just so happens that two of his buddies, two of his high school teammates, are first-time eligible for arbitration. They agreed to deals. Lucas Giolito with the White Sox got $4.15 million, and Max Freed 
right there with the Braves, you know, 3.5 million. You know, yep. it, it it's worth noting too that the Los Angeles Dodgers have a superstar young right-hander as well in Walker Bueller, and they're going to a hearing with him. You know, Jack had that sublime, one of the best second halves of all time. Um, he's going to go into this hearing, though, with this past year being the platform on which they can argue. That that makes it added interest. I don't know if the Cardinals can argue that Jack Flaherty is worth less to them or worth a smaller salary than, say, Brandon Woodruff um, or Max Freed, but that's what they're going to say. And uh, there might be some ramification to that, though. Though, to be honest, <laughs> think? It's just confirmation. <laughs> I mean, they're going to have to say it. They're not going to have to say it to his face because it's all going to be Zoom this year. But it, right. it used to be to their face. But, but it, the ramification. But, but it also could be, as you said, that it just could be validation of what he knows all along. They're going to try to undercut his value until they can't, and then the moment that right. they, the moment that he has the power where they don't get that chance is when he leaves. Is it possible that Rick Giolito has weighed in on this topic in my Twitter mentions? As is. in as in as in Lucas Giolito's dad? Is that it would possible? Be possible. It there is isn't Rick Giolito on Twitter who is followed by Jack Flaherty. <laughs> yes. And and multiple, you know, prominent people in baseball, which maybe it's a great person pretending to be Giolito's dad, but I think it might actually be Giolito's dad. Um when when this was going down. I, I sent out a tweet that said, I wrote this last year about Flaherty understanding his value and mm-hmm. his beef with how the current CBA is structured. I said, it's relevant today. And the one response I got to it was Rick Giolito at Rick Giolito. <laughs> this is what he said. Again, I don't know for a fact that this is, that this is Giolito's dad, but I have reason to believe it is. He said, <laughs> we he, can find out. he responds in this tweet and I'm quoting this. Jack is worth much more than he was asking for on a one-year deal. The White Sox had no issue coming to agreement with my son. You do not take your young ace to arbitration, especially if the ask is more than reasonable. Terrible move by St. Louis management. Now, clearly, he's got a vested interest in seeing Jack get paid. Um, You know, he's close with Jack. And but he, I thought that was an interesting perspective from a, a father of a player who was in a similar scenario. I mean, they, they all arrived same. I mean, it's first year arbitration, right? They, they all three buddies got there at the same time. You know, Giolito has the all star nod. Um, you know, but I, I don't know. I'm having a hard time figuring out how Jack could be closer to Keller, Woodruff, and Senzatella than he is to Freed or Giolito. I mean, I just. I don't know. Maybe maybe there's something there, but uh, but you know the 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 numbers will be what they'll have to base on. But it, but again, it, it it might not be, it might not it might not deepen the the it might not deepen the gulch in the relationship that is already deep. Considering he has said they're not paying me what I'm worth to begin with. Oh, here's another example of that. Well, the other thing too is Jack needs to come out and prove it in 2021. I mean, yeah. his yeah. twenty his twenty twenty season. I know he wasn't happy with it, and you know if he really wants to drive this thing home, he has a he has a baller twenty twenty one. And here's the other thing: nothing can smooth over, um, you know, bruises and 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 previous tiffs like a like an extension offer that includes a lot of years and a lot of money. Um, right. You know, you're only as scorned as your as your last offer. 
So, you know, things can, things can change in a hurry here. So I'm reluctant to say, oh, this is going to be, this is going to be really nasty. But I think all we can do right now is look at the current trends and the current trends suggest that the Cardinals are not looking at Flaherty as a player that is worth wiggling on their end in order to make things a little smoother sailing, potentially down the line. They're treating him like every other player. And maybe Flaherty is the kind of guy who says, I'm going to remember that when I have more leverage. Um, we've been knowing, knowing Jack a little bit, I won't pretend to know him as well as, as, as some others, but knowing him as much as we do, I, I think, and, and you do, you know him better than I do. He's the kind of guy who doesn't really forget things and, and seems to, and seems to, to things he perceives as as slight so we'll see how it plays out but yeah I, I think he, I think he's the kind of guy who's gonna who's gonna remember things and I, he's very clearly made it known that he's comfortable being a one of these young guys who is going to push for a reevaluation of the way baseball structured right now so yeah. I, I think yeah. that um, I think that is something that that he's willing to take on he wants to kind of be the spearhead of of the conversation that makes baseball reconsider how it's paying these young guys who are doing a lot of things for these teams. So if part of that is him, you know, not accepting an extension, then, then he's going to have to weigh that versus his, you know, personal security. If, if that extension offer comes, but also the Cardinals too, you know, they got to be smart and they got to look at this. And if they know in their heart of hearts that they're not going to be able to extend him. And, you know, then, then I think you have the conversation of, do you end up at some point down the line, maybe looking at moving him? I, I don't know. I, I, that would sound crazy to say a year or two ago, but now nothing sounds crazy to say. I mean, Mookie Betts gets traded and, and, and Francisco Lindor gets traded. So are we really going to sit here and say it's impossible to imagine Jack Flaherty being traded? I, I can't say that right now. Oh, I would say uh, that it's entirely possible that he's traded in the course of our conversation here, as we're recording this, there has been some interesting news and some, well, there's no other way to put it. Devastating news in baseball. Um, first, briefly, the inter- interesting John Heyman, among others, reporting that Profar, Jerkson Profar, re-signing with the Dodgers. Um, it's worth noting what he what the deal is. Three years, $21 million, according to um, according to reports. It also Padres, has an opt-out right? in there. What's that? The Padres, right? Yeah, the Padres. Yeah. So that tells you sort of what the market was for him. Not exactly the kind of deal the Cardinals were going to enter into into one of those, you know, um, part time everyday different position types of player. That's not exactly what they were looking for. So, there the the market continues to move. The Padres continue to be at the forefront of making those moves, um, but their urgency is noted because they've gone so long not contending, and now that their time to contend has arrived, they have to stare a rival who, in a lot of ways, is their better. So they got to close that gap with the Dodgers before they can even think about getting over the, you know, into uh, kind of the top class of the National League. Then the devastating news is the, I mean, 2020 does not apparently relent when the calendar turns over. Um, Hall of Famer and, I mean, arguably the greatest hitter of all time, Hank Aaron, passed away. Uh, he's 86 years old. Um, the AJC and other outlets are reporting that, Ben. Um, just uh, just part of baseball royalty. Milwaukee Braves, great. Uh, Atlanta Braves, great. You know, the all-time home run king for much of my lifetime. Uh, and when I went to Cooperstown to be there when Rick Hummel received the Spink Award, 
I uh, made sure there's a there's a room there in Cooperstown where they have the current leaders and and current stats and everything from the season and also the the leaderboards for a lot of significant categories and they're updated. And this would have been July um, of the year that uh, as Bonds was making his way up and I went and made sure to take a photo of that leaderboard that had Hank Aaron atop it. It just felt like that is something to have a photo of because it was going to change imminently. Um, but I'm glad I got there to see it. Um, he is as approachable and as regal and as gentlemanly and as just impressive a person as you'll ever meet. Um, you know, and it's just another hall of famer that they've lost here in the past year, uh, in the past 12 months. That's just, I mean, it's, it's tearing a generation away from baseball. Yeah, this is a, a heavy one. And on the heels of what has been a just a, a devastating run for the Hall of Fame and its losses, man. I mean, it, it has never been through, um, I would say, a year. I know we're, it's more than a calendar year now, but it's never been through a stretch like this. Um, and it's this is one of the this is the biggest name that that has been lost. And I don't say that lightly. I mean, talking about Bob Gibson and and Lou Brock and and and, and on and on and on. And now Hank Aaron. I think Reggie Jackson said it best, man. The, the people's home run king. Um, yeah, one of one of the absolute best baseball players ever, and one of the best, one of the best baseball players in baseball. Um, I mean, a guy who wasn't cheered at every corner because of of, of ter- terrible racism in our country, often had to deal with death threats. Of course, then now beloved, and 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 did so much on the field, but also off it. I mean, just a while ago, I, I saw you know the story about him getting his COVID vaccine and encouraging mm-hmm. folks to follow in his footsteps um he was uh always willing to use his his fame and his status for good causes an ambassador to the game uh you know helped inclusion in the game i mean what you can go on and on it's uh it's wild i was just as we were doing the podcast i was looking this up and lifetime for him <laughs> against the cardinals average 308 and slugged 576 <laughs> in more than more than uh, nearly 1500 career at bats against the Cardinals, uh, incredible. And it's a feel for, for everybody in the game and everybody who knew him um, because it's just like at some point it's like, come on, baseball needs a, baseball needs a break from this. But this one, this one hurts. I had a hammer is one of the, the great baseball biographies. If people are interested and they want to know more about Hank Aaron, not just the player, but Hank Aaron, the, the person and his background, um, and it probably helps inform a lot of what people have seen from him over the last 20, 30 years um, as he has become one of the, the great ambassadors, not just of baseball, but of sports. So I had a hammer. It's a, it's a great book. And yeah, it's a, uh, it's been a tough stretch for everybody just adds to it. So we, uh, you know, there'll be, there'll be some kind of remarkable tributes to all of these great players when ballparks reopen. There's going to be mm-hmm. some kind of communal, cathartic celebration of, you know, Don Sutton, Hank Aaron, Tom Seaver, you know, Lou Brock, Bob Gibson locally. I mean, you're going to see a lot of memorial patches on jerseys. And a lot of opportunities just every day of the coming baseball season once fans are allowed back into the ballpark 
to celebrate this this generation that's that's uh that's left us yeah i mean he was a remarkable i think everybody knew he was a remarkable player but some of the other stories about what he things he did away mm-hmm. from the game you now his connections to you know civil rights and in- inclusion and you know he is a folks who obviously know him as an outstanding and amazing and you know, once in a lifetime baseball player should also read about some of the other things that, that he did. I mean, even, even, even up to recent times, I mean, mm-hmm. his involvement with, with things major league baseball was doing to promote the game. And I mean, just a remarkable Titan of a man. And it's hard to yeah. put into words after just hearing this, what, what all he means. And a lot, a lot of very talented people will, will try and, and, and do great jobs, but still fall short um, I, I can't, you know, that, that first gathering of, of the baseball hall of fame, you know, when they put in these guys who haven't had a chance to go in yet, but also Larry Walker, Derek Jeter, Ted Simmons also have to recognize all the guys who aren't there. That's yeah. going to be, uh, it's going to be a lot of emotions, man. And, and it's going to be cathartic, but it's also going to be, it'll be a celebration, but also sorrowful. I mean, and baseball, baseball has lost a, an incredible group here. The guys who are going in, I've got have some work to do to try to fill these shoes. That's for sure. Man, I hadn't thought about that. That stage. So who are these next figures are going to, I mean, they haven't had to fill a lineup like this. <laughs> no, no. I mean, it, it's, it's a, that's a, that's a very striking image that you've given me um, about that stage at, at Cooperstown and a whole lot of empty seats on it. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be hard to focus. It's going to be torn. I mean, you're happy for the guys who are going in in a celebration, but also a shocking image to see the the folks who aren't there. Uh, man, yeah. just a bad. I mean, it's, I want to keep it in context. It's been a terrible time for for our country, um, and we've lost so many people. Um, you know, a loss of a baseball player is 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 not you know to be made more or, or less than a loss of any other parent or, or person. Um, but it's just, uh, it really is a microcosm, I think, of the, how tough of a stretch it's been for our country, but for certainly, country. A, certainly a, a, a brutal stretch for America's pastime, too. Right. Underscores the need of baseball to figure things out and to be there as a touchstone and as a gathering point for a culture at large that could really use, uh, um, could really use a gust of true community, um, which baseball has provided before, um, you know, and instead in the coming weeks, likely baseball will just have additional acrimony. You have the, uh, announcement of the hall of fame class for 2021. It's possible that no one gets elected. The person who is closest to being elected in the publicly available at bats is obviously the, the divisive per, you know, personality, um, and the atrocious, terrible, vile, things he said on Twitter in, in Kurt Schilling. And then you have the ramp up to spring training where players are expecting to report on time for the Cardinals. That's February 17th, but there are still things to be negotiated. And that goes from the still ludicrously unknown DH in the national league to when fans can be in the ballpark. All of these things have yet to be defined. All of those things are, they're basically new arenas for disagreement and criticism. So at a time when baseball could be part of the mending, um, baseball instead seems to be someone who wants to 
stick a finger in the wound at times. So, yeah, I, I, I hope that baseball, baseball usually rises to the occasion. It can't help itself. And at some point in time in 2021, after all these losses, not just within baseball, but around the country, um, I would imagine that baseball will rise to the occasion again, in part because the fans will, will make it happen. Yeah, I think um, even if it's in smaller crowds to start, uh, having people back at the ballpark in any capacity will be the beginning of it, and hopefully it can and build from there, and, and then we can have some some send-offs and some celebrations, and it's going to – I know it's – I'm always probably hoping it happens sooner than it will, but <laughs> but I can't wait till it's full. Um, and uh, and hopefully the Cardinals will make some moves to, to, to give – provide a team in 2021 that realistically – gets people excited to come down there. That's, that's, that's part of it too. And and hope that that happens here in the, I hope it's a busy month. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Might be a busy month of planning as we try to figure out what's next for us for spring training. If we get there, we'll be sure to bring all the coverage to the stltoday.com. That will include chats and blogs and articles and news and features and all the usual things that you can expect from spring training coverage, including columns from Ben Fredrickson and all the things that Rick Hummel writes from Jupiter, Florida, as we put those plans together, that will include, of course, podcasts. The best podcast in baseball is brought to you by Closet by Design of St. Louis. Get organized with Closet by Design of St. Louis. Update your closet, garage, office, pantry, and more. Call 1-800-BY-DESIGN. 1-800-BY-D-E-S-I-G-N. Closet by Design of St. Louis, the official sponsor of the best podcast in baseball. You can find the best podcast in baseball and all the Constant Cardinals coverage at stltoday.com. The coverage is also available on the pages of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. That's where you can find Ben Fredrickson's work. Thank you very much for joining me this week. Ben, we'll have more to talk about. Um, the Flaherty topic is not going away. The roster moves or non-roster moves, I guess that's a pun, are, <laughs> are, uh, are not going away. And, of course, there's always the other stories to tell. Um, I look forward to doing that with you. Thank you very much for joining me, Ben. You bet, man. Anytime. And uh, hopefully here soon we'll be down in uh, Florida. We'll see. Uh, fingers crossed on that. But always, always, always good to catch up. And uh, and we'll talk again soon. For St. Louis Post-Dispatch sports columnist Ben Fredrickson, I'm St. Louis Post-Dispatch baseball writer Derek Gould. This has been the best podcast in baseball. Stay tuned. Stay informed. Stay healthy. Thank you all for listening. You said you said overexposed. Have I told you my uh, my my J school way back in the Mizzou days? I think I've heard this a time or a thousand. Yeah. Right. His point, well, his his evaluation of me as a journalist was, this was his recommendation, his career recommendation was. I should have known. I, I knew this was going to come up as soon as I said it. <laughs> this was the career advice. If you can't write well, learn to write a lot. Yeah. I disagree with the assessment, but the there's a kernel of truth in there. Oh, and yeah. Just, no, it's become the guiding light of my career. Right. You just, just I, I want I, I want to walk that fine line between the, uh, you know, people not being able to avoid me, but people not getting sick of me. That's kind of where that's 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 the, the needle you're trying to thread. Everybody is if you're doing it right. Right. I just am going to write a lot until someone says, man, that was really well written. Then I'm <laughs> laying down and I'm retired. One of these days we'll get there. <laughs> <laughs>